All right. Hey, everyone, and welcome to WDW Happy Hour. We have a very special mini episode. A, a chaser, if you will. A chaser, a bonus for you. Today, we have an interview with one of our good friends, uh, photographer, podcaster, entertainer, comedian, um, and good friend of, of both myself and Catherine. It's just the two of us today. Um, we are talking to, um, of Tales from the Jungle Cruise fame, uh, Skipper Kyle. So, so in, hi, in, Skipper Kyle. Hi, guys. So instead of being a uh, chaser, can I be an amuse-bouche or uh, perhaps Ooh. perhaps an appetizer? Uh, I mean, I know that doesn't fit the alcohol theme, but... Uh, sure, sure. An amuse-bouche is a, is a, is a palate cleanser, it if is. you will. It is. And, and believe me, I, I usually muddy up people's palates with my <laughs> sense of humor, so it's uh, a little different there. Uh, but That's anyway, perfect. yes. Hey, and it's great. I can hear your birds in the background. and um, Can you hear that motorcycle going can, by? Oh, yeah. No, no. This is, we are high-tech quality podcast, uh, as we call it, skippertainment. Yes. Uh, so, and, and yes, I can be a remote correspondent for WDW Happy Hour. That's always good, too. Yes, and we shouldn't, for those um, not familiar, Kyle, um, Kyle, for many years, did a um, a, a podcast called Tales from the Jungle Cruise, C-R-E-W-S, where he and fellow um, former and current Jungle Cruise skippers uh, basically told um, stories involving, you know, uh, Disneyland Park, but most notably one of the most beloved rides, uh, the Jungle Cruise. And... um, and so, he just brought it back yeah, was, after a yeah. long hiatus. Yeah, we were two years, two years gone. Uh, the the reason for that was because I went back to work for the mouse, which was uh, a major change for me after 10 years of being absent. Uh, and then my time with the mouse is coming to an end. So it was time to bring the show back. And it's great. The first episode is, is out and it the first New episode is out and it's great. And there's also an excellent back catalog. So those are such enjoyable episodes. Well, and you guys have the last two years, you've been doing some great work too. I, I mean, I'm a fan as well as a friend. And I think that your show has grown beautifully in the last couple of years and uh, nice for us to reconnect. That's right. But let's get down to brass tacks. Okay. So, um, you have been in the edge of the galaxy, um, or at at the edge of the galaxy. You know, maybe per, I perhaps say. multiple times. Ooh. So there there may be some extra trips that have been made. So uh, yes, I have visited Batu. I have uh, struck out with the smugglers, and uh, I wanted to come and spend a little time with you guys uh, because I know that food and beverage is your specialty. Star Wars yes. is a a love. And uh, I wanted to uh, bring a little bit of information to your fans that they can use to plan their trips so that they don't get swept up by the uh, by the first order. Now that's perfect. Now, Kyle, I do have a, a some background preliminary questions. Obviously, for those listening, you can tell Kyle lives in Southern California. He is a uh, Disneyland frequenter. Um, now, I just want to ask in general before you get into the Galaxy's Edge info, what was your um, what was your pre-Disney relationship with Star Wars, and has it changed since the Disney acquisition? Well, you know, the the, the embarrassing part of this is that uh, uh, we're going to date myself a little bit here. I remember waiting in line at one of the dome theaters in Seattle with my dad, waiting to line up on opening day in, uh, I believe it was, what, May 25th, 1977? So That's I, right. I was six years old. Uh, I remember waiting in line with my dad. I spent the entire summer collecting Star Wars bubblegum cards, uh, which I wish I still had now because I'm sure they're worth a lot of money. Uh, I had action figures for birthdays. I dressed up as Darth Vader for Halloween. So it was a big part of my life all the way going through. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people who really it became part of their DNA. For me, it was never a deep fanaticism, but having some background with cinema, uh, you know, I always appreciated it. And it was always uh, a big part of my science fiction and fantasy loving uh, self through the years. Uh, 
Right. Uh, now, I mean, as the years have gone on, you know, obviously the Disney deal changes that a little bit. Uh, I just actually went and watched uh, Dark Phoenix, uh, the X-Men movie, and I got yeah. I got a little sad because that's the first time, well, sorry, the last time we're going to see that 20th Century Fox logo. So, that's right. You know, that's that, crazy. The little fanfare before... Um, you know, I am a big fan. I, I love what they've done with Clone Wars. I think Star Wars Rebels is a fantastic show. Uh, so I have definitely diversified and, and gotten into a little bit more of the universe outside of just the strict, um, you know, original movie and prequel canon. Right. Okay. I yeah. have a question for you, Kyle. If you were to identify as a Star Wars character, who would you be? Just so our listeners can get an idea of your personality. Oh, wow. Uh, I know that's kind of a loaded question. I did not tell you. I was gonna Yeah, yeah. There's before. no there's no preparation. Um, I don't know. Uh, Watto from the uh, from episode one, the little uh, Toydarian uh, who has Anakin's uh, slave contract. Oh, so you're a, you're a, you're a swindler. You're yeah, a little... yeah, a little uh, a little bit of a rogue. You know, I can't put myself in the same category as a, a Han Solo, maybe, but uh, right. You know, maybe a little. I don't know. I'd say Greedo, but he did not end well. Actually, you no. know what? I'm sorry. You know, I will I will up my stakes. I'm going to say that I'm a Lando. Wow, wow, that is a very different character from a Watto. Yeah, but you know what? It's I was I was kicking it in my head and. Gambler, sense of humor, uh, loves himself a lot. Definitely yep. right up my alley. Fancy capes. Oh, I, I have a collection. Actually, I have a great gold lame. It's beautiful. Yeah, so. I mean, when you open, it's he's like a cartoon character. For those who don't know, Kyle, he actually opens up a, uh, a closet in his house, and it's just filled with capes. Just capes, all capes. Yeah, it's wild. And, and you know, my favorite movie, Cape Fear. Uh, you know that works. He as loves well. it. Um, you know, I enjoy going down to Cape Horn and the and South America when I can. And no, down South all America. All about the capes. Way. All about the capes. Yep. Um, whereas, so, wait, so what was I? So, okay. As, as your episode takes a, a divergence into a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> you are listening to WDW Happy Hour, uh, the, the uh, national cape podcast. Um, no, no, that's cool. I, I just didn't know uh, how much basically what your level of star wars fandom oh, yeah. was it's, no no it's I, just deep knowledge i wouldn't i mean i haven't gone through and read every single non-canon book and extended sure. universe thing but uh i i would say that i'm i've more versed than most people okay yeah scott is definitely the resident star wars nerd out of the wdw happy hour crew he's the one that's actually he really loves he's a huge prequel apologist he has definitely watched rebels and clone wars and he's the one who knows the obscure characters, you know, uh, that can rattle them off. Uh, Catherine and I, definitely more casual fans. Catherine more so than I, because Catherine refuses to even watch the prequels. Literally has never watched the prequels, will not watch them. And I will. Well, and I have, I mean, I know you guys have in your home personal collection one of the Slave Leah bikinis, and I gotta say, Matt, you look great in it. Um, I really appreciate that, yeah, and I was waiting. I, and I was going to say we're nearly ten minutes into the episode, and I couldn't believe that you haven't uh, you hadn't brought that up. And I really appreciate that. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, so I I have been uh, around Disney, obviously with the podcast. Uh, I've done a lot of of uh, things with the company over the years, and when they made the announcement, uh, hard to believe it's been five years ago at D twenty three that they made the announcement about the land and the construction and things that were moving on backstage. Uh, so I've had, you know I've been in the periphery because of my associations with the parks during the whole construction processes. So that's been a- amazing watching the backstage areas disappear. Uh, 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 the biggest loss for me was the Hunchback of Notre Dame Theater, which uh, still to this day is my favorite live show that Disney's ever done at Disneyland. Uh, but seeing from a backstage perspective what 14 acres of land looks like when they take things out, and of course you guys know that there's been another big new announcement that Disneyland is going to be getting the Mickey's Runaway Mine Train, uh, which is also going to take a gigantic chunk of the backstage area out as part of a redeveloped Toontown. Yeah. Yeah, it is really interesting. I mean, the most that we've gotten to see was, you know, when we rode uh, Big Thunder Mountain (laughs) over at Disneyland Park, Mm -hmm. and you could kind of peer over at the scaffolding. And that was about a year ago at this point. Well, and I want to say about six months ago, the other big change was when you ride the Disneyland Railroad, uh, that you, you now have a redesigned 
train pathway. So as it was going through, you could see a little bit of the spires and some of the, the entrance areas, but obviously not actually looking into the actual area. But uh, that was a huge revision as well because they redid the enti- entirety of Rivers of America. Right. Making a left now. Making a left and um, putting all of the storage for the boats for Fantasmic, which was a very needed uh, thing to have happen. Right. So tell us, um, and I've listened to um, your podcast that you you recorded, and I know I know already. But for our listeners, um, first impressions: you walked into Galaxy's Edge. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So for us, they had only one of the three entrance areas open. There are three different areas that you can get into uh, the area. There's one over by Fantasyland on the, the far side. There's one in uh, on the Big Thunder Mountain Trail. And then there's another one, which is by the Hungry Bear Restaurant over in Critter Country. Now, that's the main area. That's when they have the, right. the early openings. That's where they have the initial direction of people. So, uh, you know, I went with a cast preview where we had... You know, probably three, four thousand people uh, lined up. Uh, as you're lined up, you immediately, as you get past Hungry Bear, start losing your Disneyland mental landmarks. The trash cans don't look like the trash cans in the rest of the park. The lighting poles look like they were, you know, taken out of the uh, out of Jabba's palace. Uh, they put in different types of, of plants and landscaping. So the, the deeper you get into it, the more you lose the sense that you're at Disneyland. Uh, as you enter through the Big Thunder, or sorry, through the, the Hungry Bear section, you pass the queue for Rise of the Resistance, uh, which I am hoping will be open by the end of the year. Uh, we're, we're hearing a little bit of noise about that. Right, so it's just at this point the the two e ticket rides there are Smuggler's Run and Rise of the Resistance. Yes, they opened yes. it originally. Their intention was to have them both open uh, at the time that right. um, that area was open, but obviously they hit some snags and they didn't want to delay opening the park when everything else was basically ready to go. So we are hearing rumblings that it should be open, that, that second ride, by the end of the year? That's kind of, you know, I, nothing official, but just people talking about it. I, I think that it's another situation where, uh, I guess, two days ago, some of the Disney creative executives were uh, doing some promo stuff on YouTube where they actually talk about it. My suspicion is they would not get to that point unless they were on the cusp of being able to open it in the relatively short future. I think obviously they'll get through the summer. They will uh, work out all the, the kinks when it comes to getting people back there and how the in and out flow is going to work. Um, right. But I, I definitely would expect that by the end of the year, I mean, at the latest, I mean, they're opening uh, August 31st in Orlando. Uh, I don't think that, that it will open with that. I don't know where the Orlando one is for their level of being. No, done. I think we're, I think we're in the same boat. I think that um, a few month delay, a yeah, few month yeah. delay. So we're going to open in in August, and then they're saying a few months later, Rise of the Resistance. Yeah, which I think is actually a little bit of a blessing for the for the park. And you know, maybe we'll come back to this a little bit uh, after the first impressions. But I actually think that um, this may have been a, uh, a a very blessing accident for them because it's going to give it a slower ramp up. If everything had been open day one, I think that maybe they would have been a little bit more slammed. And this is actually giving them a chance to build up. And I think there's a, a good number of people who don't go to Disneyland that often who are going to hold off uh, and wait for everything to be open at the same time. Yeah, that that does make sense. Uh, you know, and there's a fundamental difference between your typical Disneyland guest and your Walt Disney World guest. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I, I've heard, you know, we've been talking a little bit about um, how the openings are going to be different. And you hear um, you hear word of how they did it out in the, on the West Coast where they basically, um, you had them reserve times. You had guest reserve times and you would say, I have the block from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. or whatever. That's when you could enter Galaxy's Edge and through rumblings that's not how they're going to do it out in the east coast and i have this feeling that it's just going to be pandemonium well and i actually don't think it is so i'll give you a couple more pieces of info first of all i think the reservation system has been incredibly well executed uh from seeing how the guest reactions are 
getting the feel of guests who are not going back to Galaxy's Edge on those days. I think the reservation system was incredibly smart, and uh, I think it was extremely uh, comfortable for the guests. The uh, Once again, not hearing this from any official uh, channels, I'm kind of hearing that they're looking at a one-in, one-out system, where in the morning after the reservations are done, they're going to let in X number of people. I don't know what that number is. Let's just say... 4,000 people. And then they will have open queues for people to get in, but it'll be a one out, one in. So if you have a group of four people that go through the exit, they'll let four people in on the entrance at each of those three entrance ways. So they're going to keep the, the number of people that are in the area at a fixed amount which I think is necessary because 14 acres doesn't go as far as you would think. A lot of that space is consumed by ride buildings for the two existing rides. There is also apparently a ride building that is set for uh, future expansion. So uh, there are there is space for th- uh, three total attractions in the area. Um, so, you know, I, I let's say that 50% of the area is, is ride buildings. You've got six, seven, eight acres of space for wandering around and shopping and food and bathrooms. It, it doesn't, uh, it, it fills up a lot faster than you would expect. Right. When you hear 14 acres, you really do picture this sprawling landscape. But yep. when you put it like that, when how much of it is really walking space, place that you can actually put people, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's not as big as you may think, especially for how many how much the capacity yeah. for the average Disney day yeah, happens now, to be. Now, having said that, with our group, which was it was one of the larger groups on the previews, I never felt um, like we were shoulder-to-shoulder pressed after the initial, you know, running of the bulls when we all went in. Um, you know, I don't want, I, I think the thing that I did differently on my thing, my show, I don't really want to do with you. I don't want to necessarily do the, oh, here's what I saw, then here's what I saw, then here's what I saw. Um, I think a better way of saying it is they've got it broken up into a couple of different areas. They have kind of a resistance area. They have a first order area. They have a smugglerish area. And uh, one of the things I like is that there's three factions and that is resistance, first order, and smugglers. So when you are role-playing or when the people are interacting with you, there are people from each of those factions that you're interacting with. So it's not just two sections, light versus dark. The smugglers add that personality as well. Right. Uh, and then you've got some food areas, which I know we're going to go into in depth. You've got a little um, uh, bizarre area with uh, shops and different things there. And then you've got a couple little uh, hidden sections as you go that are a little trickier to find, but that have a lot of interesting depth for the shops. Now, um, uh, I know a lot of uh, the promo materials that they were uh, that they were showcasing said that they really want the app to serve as kind of a third ride. Yeah. And you you talk about the factions. I know that their plans for the app is basically you create a profile, you identify as a faction, and then there are things to do in the app, uh, you know, and it'll be interactive that will serve as a second screen experience. Now, to my knowledge, none of that is really up and running Uh, now, correct? No. So during our previews, we had a very strict non-media, no cell phone uh, scenario, and there were actually cast members who were terminated on the spot when they had their cell phones out. Um, so some people, you know, had a, a one in their bag they didn't claim. They pulled their, their phone out during their preview to take a phone call or whatever. And uh, cast members were walked out of the land. And uh, to my understanding, some were, were let go from the company because of what they put out on the Internet. Uh, wow. so, so because of that, and there were some data pads, cell phones, that were uh, out there as loners. I didn't get to play with one. So I'll just uh, pass along what I've been told from guests, which is if you think about the interaction level at a Universal Studios with Harry Potter with the wands, you have, what, 15 points or so where you can, you know, wave your wand in the air and it, it makes something happen. If you turn that into 200 different action points within the land, cut up into eight different categories, you have RFID interaction, you've got QR codes, you've got puzzles that you can unlock uh, lore, you've got a radio channel that you'll be able to listen to to hear things happening in the land. 
you know, Kylo Ren's ship is coming over the horizon. Everyone, you know, run. And then in a couple minutes, Kylo Ren comes out of the First Order area. You know, Chewbacca's, you know, uh, going through the, the brush. Everyone, you know, watch out. So that kind of uh, story building creates that deeper lore. And, you know, I don't think that they have some of the deeper plans in place right now. Uh, but I definitely feel like the app has some utility. I, I have heard that it is a little... Um, uh, it's not above the hands of a kid who knows how to use a cell phone. It's not, you know, incredibly deep. We're not looking at a full mobile game here. Right. But it's definitely uh, small activities that are intended to keep you occupied without flooding the stores or, or the attractions. My concern with that is twofold, and that is one... Disney has not consistently proven that they do uh, stable apps well. I mean, I can refer to the My Disney Experience for Walt Disney World as one of them. It is riddled with bugs, and it is kind of nightmarish on a regular basis. Um, The second concern that I have is people basically just going into the world and staring through their phones. Well, either... Yeah, but if that's the experience they want to have, I mean, I guess the way I look at it is if, if it, they're going to be on their phones anyway, whether it's taking pictures or, you know, text messaging. Believe me, as, as a someone who has been a cast member at the resorts, uh, I'll take a Jungle Cruise boat out and out of 42 people, 30 will be on their phones for the entirety of the trip. Oh, that's so sad. Oh, no. It makes me so mad. I, I have people take phone calls on a regular basis. Oh. And it used to be back in like 07, 08 when that happened, uh, they were not as as um, <clears throat> tight with the rules that I could pick, grab the phone from the guest's hand and talk to their person on the other side and be like, oh, yeah, no, Tom's on the Jungle Cruise right now. He's about to get eaten by a lion. Can he call you back? Uh, <laughs> but that's not something we can do these days, so... Yeah. A real shame, if you ask me. Oh, oh, absolutely. No, look, I, I feel like um, those are things that add replayability to the adventure and to the excitement. I don't feel like it's a dramatic um, uh, takeaway uh, off the bat. I think it's it's uh, it didn't seem to be a big something that I would have an issue with. As far as the reliability, I'll tell you that they've they've re- remodeled the Disneyland app uh, recently a couple of times, and they've also put in a much stronger Wi-Fi and cell signal backbone. Uh, so they've, they've upgraded all the cell towers throughout the park so that there's direct connection from inside the park to all major networks. And the, uh, the Wi-Fi in-park now is accessible. I mean, I'm, you're not going to stream anything on it, but for connection to their app, connection to messaging, things like that, it is uh, light years better than it's ever been. And the quality of the Disneyland app has actually been really good. That is good to hear. And from someone, from a tech nerd and uh, from someone who works in IT and understands what kind of huge undertaking it is to upgrade distributed antennas for cell service and wi-fi that's that's a huge undertaking so so it's good to hear yeah i uh i actually when i'm in the park as a guest i use the in-park wi-fi regularly uh just to save power and uh and just to you know connect with the app you know i look at the wait times uh and they're really great about the way it's updated it's live updating uh they just put in a new info board two weeks ago at disneyland so they actually have a digital uh, info board with live wait times to all the attractions on Main Street. So I think that's things like that will just keep on coming. Nice. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about the land itself. Um, so what was you know, like not categorizing it into like food or ride or experience? What was your absolute favorite thing about uh, it, Galaxy's it, Edge? I think that, you know, what I'll come down to on this is my initial concerns about this were it was going to be Cars Land all over again in Orlando. Uh, I thought that there would be bad queuing choices. And I, I was really concerned about how you take this concept and you work it into the Disney park philosophy. I'm going to tell you right now that from... Well, you, you said, I'm sorry, and I just took cut you off... 
you said Cars Land in Orlando. You mean in California Adventure, or do no, you no, mean no, another? No. I'm sorry, Toy Story Land. Toy Story Land. I'm sorry. There Toy... we go. Okay, I'm sorry. I just wanted to make sure I knew what you yeah. were talking about. No, I'm sorry. You got. It. I'm sorry. Toy Story Land. So all those Pixar things run together. Um, <laughs> you know, like they really made a huge mistake when they when they rethemed the Incredicoaster in California. Look, it should have been the emotional roller coaster from Inside Out. Let's be honest. Yep, yeah. that's way smart. A... And they have. And the... The new ride should have been the Mood Swings, the one that's the rethemed Flix Flyers. But oh yeah, yeah, oh absolutely. And if you listen to our most recent episode, we talk about the uh, rumors for an Incredibles-themed steakhouse coming to the Contemporary. That might actually happen. Oh, oh, the choices. Um, well, Great choices. And, and, but okay, so you're saying you were you were worried that it'd be a little bit like the stumbles that they took with Toy Story Land at um, Disney's Hollywood Studios. So. Well, I, I think it was, you know, look, the, the business reality is that this is a reaction to Harry Potter. And I don't think that the, and I haven't been to the Orlando one, Universal in Hollywood has beautiful buildings and great people, but there's one little tiny roller coaster, one big ride, the wand sorting, a couple of restaurants, and it's good, but it's not immersive in the way that I would want it to be. Uh, so I was afraid that this was going to have some of those, those things. So to, to break, to, to back up my story, one of the things I love about Disney, every single attraction, every single restaurant has a story. We're all given these guidebooks. We all know what the story is for the jungle cruise, but even like the restrooms have the, uh, the restaurants and the, the stores, not the restrooms, but they all have their own story. <laughs> So you go into tropical imports uh, or, you know, you go into the bazaar at Adventureland. There's an actual cohesive story that everyone's taught to do. My fear with Star Wars was it was not going to be story. That was the biggest underestimation I could ever have made. This area is the biggest, truest story thing, the most Disney way of doing this that I could ever have imagined. It absolutely fits with the company's uh, devotion to telling stories. And in, in a way that is uh, unparalleled, they're giving the cast freedom to create their own characters, create the, their own interactions, and create a very cohesive story. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. So for me, I, mean, I know some of the people who've been doing the training and the, uh, you know, we have 1,400 cast members who effectively have all been going to improv classes. That's wild. That's yeah. absolutely crazy. Uh, you go back there with a T-shirt on that has the Death Star on it, and you might get uh, told, you know, maybe you should go over there with those First Order people. We don't really uh, think you belong on this side of the uh, of the spaceport. Uh, I mean, it is uh, it is story condensed in a beautiful way, and I feel like that is the the winning detail over everything else because everything else, the theming, the food, the attractions, it all just supports that it is a story experience. That is great to hear. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just really excited to get in there and just walk around. Like I just, I mean, forget the rides. Like I just really just want to like, like you said, just kind of taking the scenery and, and interact with the world. I, I want to see what they've done with the world building. Well, and something that your your listeners who don't know me uh, should know, I am not a Disney apologist. I am not a rah-rah cheerleader, Disney is the best in the world. I am very realistic about their flaws. I am very challenging when they make bad mistakes. Uh, even if it's a small thing, I am not afraid to say that Disney has challenges. So when I come out of the box and say that this is as good as it is, it comes from a very, very uh, cautious place, and they had to do a lot to win me over. Yeah, and I think that's why the the three of us get along so well, because I think that we all really, as much as we support and love Disney for what it is, I think that we were never afraid to look at things through a hypercritical lens. And if, you know, if, if they need to be taken a task on something, then, you know, we're going to we're not going to shy away from it. So yeah. it, that is good to hear uh, that it's as good as you say it is. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm thrilled with, uh, look, when you step into the bazaar, it feels uh, at, at almost every point when you're there, it feels like you're on a different planet. Uh, the biggest issue that I have with it, and I do have one major issue, and this is kind of 
my my capping point from my own episode about this is I feel like it's so good that when you go back into the rest of Disneyland, it feels like you're ste- stepping from a 4K TV down to a 1960s black and white tube television. Yeah, I, I really like that. Uh, that's a good soundbite from that episode. I, I think that's a really good a really good metaphor. And, yeah, it's it's too good. I mean, it, it really is to the point where you don't want to go back and and experience the other stuff. Uh, so that's why I think obviously they're going to keep doing development, the Toontown redo, uh, the rumors of the upcoming Tron roller coaster coming to Orlando uh, to uh, Anaheim in 2022. You know, all the things that they need to do to keep this stuff up and running is is going to keep on going. There's not going to be any stopping the the need to change and need to update. That's awesome. So, so let's get get down to the nitty gritty. Let's hit, talk hit about me. some food and drink. That's the best part of it. I'll be really honest. I love the ride. I was I was disappointed. Uh, I went into the area thinking it was Snuggler's Run, and nobody would cuddle. <laughs> nobody would cuddle with me. Uh, That's very, a, that is unfortunate. Very disappointing. Um, but uh, you know, yes, the ride was fun. But for me, the food was really where it was all at. Uh, I'll hit a couple things I really loved. I love the popped grains. They don't call it popcorn. Uh, but the uh, the exploded grains that they have, it is a berry or grape or some kind of a sweet tone to it mixed with a very light sriracha for their kettle corn. Mm. That sounds amazing. So it is a sweet and spicy kettle corn. I, I wanted and I'm I have not been a big popcorn guy for a long time. I wanted to go back and just do bucket after bucket. And right now, as part of their opening limited edition, they have one of those little black gonk droids from Star Wars, the little black little, like, you know, uh, floor rats, mm-hmm. you know, you know yeah. the, the little black ones. But they're like triangular, yeah. Yeah, so they have that with the top that comes off, and you put your popcorn bucket in the middle of that. So that was really cool. The, uh, I love the flavor on that. Uh, I have one of the uh, spherical Coca-Cola bottles upstairs where they, uh, you know, when you're in the land, there's no... There's no Disney. There is no labeling that says this is Disney. There's no I love team. it. There's I no, love it. There is not a Mickey Mouse to be seen anywhere back there. There is not a big Disney logo on the merch. There's not even a Star Wars logo on most of it. If it's there it's on labels, it's really small. The labels are all Galaxy's Edge. Uh, they're all First Order, Resistance. They stay within their universe, and they do not break out of that lane. So, See, I love that, and that's that's something that Catherine was really critical about, especially over in in uh, in Florida, where as far as merch is concerned, there's no. Um, it's there's, all homogenization. You can well, find an Epcot ornament in the Magic Kingdom, and that really bothers me. Well, but that's that was a big issue uh, before the 50th anniversary. So uh, when I hired into the company in 2001 for the California Adventure opening, this process had already started because. Uh, uh, up until that point, and even into like 0203, when you had items that were themed, like you were not going to find a Tigger or Pooh item outside of Critter Country. You were not going to find your Star Tours merch and all that outside of Tomorrowland. And now you go to the Emporium, you go to World of Disney. It is there. The lines have been blurred, and there is the same merchandise in every single store. And it's a real shame because a lot of the the real unique stuff, like the the heraldry shop and the villain store, and all those things, or like the heraldry shop is still there, but the villain store, those are gone. There just is no um, separate, you know, lanes of merchandising in particular areas. Uh, and it's great to see that the Galaxy's Edge stuff they really shied away from that. That's great. That's awesome. That's I a hope step that's in the right a trend. Direction. Yes. Yeah. No, I I really want to see that continue because I think that they they have to realize that oversaturation is their enemy. Yeah, I, d- I definitely agree. So uh, other stuff on the food side besides the amazing popcorn. Uh, so there's two major food eating areas, uh, and then there's the, the drink side. So food-wise, you've got Ronto Roasters, which <laughs> is uh, basically they have a giant uh, jet engine from a spaceship that blasts flames down to cook your meat for you. Uh, and you like literally stand underneath. I actually think it might be um, the old nozzle from uh, Soren that we had here that they changed out the theming on. It actually looks like the old rocket launcher nozzle that they had over there. 
And they've okay. got, they have uh, meat on spits underneath, quote unquote meat, quote unquote spits. Uh, so the, the two big things there is uh, in the morning they have the Ronto breakfast wrap which is a pork sausage with eggs and some other sides that are in there, but it's presented in a way that doesn't make it feel like, you know, a McDonald's uh, kind of an item. It's presented beautifully. They also have for breakfast a, a Mustafarian cinnamon roll, which is one of the planets, I think, where Darth Vader's uh, tower was at. Uh, it is a uh, spicy cinnamon, like a... Like, not like Cinnabon. I mean, it actually has a lot of, like, real kick to it, like a Saigon cinnamon kick uh, with a lemon uh, frosting to give a little bit of a, uh, a balance to that and then a dusting of raspberry dust on the top of it. Uh, All of this stuff sounds incredible. So, fantastic. Now, on the dinner side, the, the lunch and dinner menu, the Ronto wrap is, is fantastic. It's a pork sausage uh, with pulled pork. Uh, and some of the slivered onions, the, the pickled onions, and then mm. like, like a slaw on top of it on a very irregularly shaped flatbread. Uh, as a little <laughs> note, uh, if you go there and ask for pulled porg, they will not give it to you. There is no pulled porg anywhere in the area. <laughs> Once again, very disappointed. The, the stuff Chewy was eating looked delicious. <laughs> um, so the, the Ronto wrap was uh, reasonably priced. I want to say it was eight ninety nine. Uh, and it was a hefty bunch of food. It was a nice takeaway item. Uh, really, really like that. There's some other uh, beverages there that you can get that are unique themed beverages. Then the other main uh, food service area is uh, Docking Bay or Hangar Bay 7, uh, which is around the corner from there. I will say it was not easy to find. Uh, okay. A lot of their stuff does not have signs. And on the days we went, we didn't have maps. So we had to really, you know, explore, which I actually think, you know, when you go and tuck your map away, just go explore. But this seating area opened up into what felt like a commissary from Firefly or Battlestar Galactica. Okay. So when you go in, you've got crates, cargo crates with ship's wings over the top of them to eat off of. You know, there's all this discarded metal and things that become your seating area. It really felt like a very... uh, a mess hall that had been there for a hundred years and had just picked up things and things on the walls. Um, the, now this is in the resistance section. This or? is actually in the smuggler section. It's after the bazaar, but before you get to the millennium Falcon. Okay. Uh, so now this is your main meal area. And, uh, for the lunch and dinner menus, um, the, the thing I had, which was the thing that was, I was the best food that I had, uh, honestly, in the park this last year, was their third rack sticky ribs, uh, which was served with a red cabbage slaw, a little bit vinegary, and then a blueberry corn muffin. And I, I wanted 20 of these muffins. They were uh, a standout for me. They were really beautiful. But the ribs, did, they weren't... They weren't an American-style rib. They weren't a Korean-style rib. They were something new, long-cooked. I'm sure that they were in oven smokers, uh, but really, really beautifully done on the ribs. And $15.99 price point. That's not bad uh, at all. No, felt very reasonable for what it was. The other thing about that dining experience there is that they really made an effort, both for children and for adults, to have a wide variety of vegan, vegetarian, and gluten-free options. And it's not just lip service. They really did some amazing things in that category that are prepared with the same level of creativity and quality that everything else in the area has. I, I, I've come to expect that from, from Disney, both coasts. They, they're really, I mean, for the past 10 years, I, I think yeah. that they've been really... Uh... They, they've moved that way, but it, Disneyland, Disneyland was not anywhere near where Orlando was on food. I still think yeah. that I still think that our food offerings are several notches below Orlando's. Ooh, disagree. Quality over quantity. Quality over quantity. Uh, Disneyland has the quality. I should also say that I, I'm I'm realizing now uh, about 40 minutes into this episode that Catherine and I have made a, a critical error, and and with the three hour time difference, you probably 
ate lunch not too long ago, but we are smack dab in the middle of when we usually eat dinner, and I am starving. Oh, I the, know. This all sounds so good. Well, just, uh, Catherine, just send Matt to the kitchen for some munchies, and we'll keep on talking. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, crack, crack one open, guys. So. Oh, I'm, I'm yeah, we cracked. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it has been cracked. Uh, okay, so we're going to do this again, and we're going to have the discussion, because my there are things at Disneyland that I've seen over 18 years that I will fight you left and right about the food quality issue. But let's let's stay in the galaxy far, far away. Uh, yes. The uh, the dinner option for pot roast, which you think, eh, pot roast, what's it going to be, uh, is excellent, served over noodles. Uh, all of their serving dishes are non-traditional food service dishes. They actually look like cast iron skillets. They're plastic of some sort. They're not, they're, they're reusable and washable. Uh, so it does not feel like you're eating off of a Disney themed paper plate. Even their trays feel like recycled metal. There is nothing cheap about the way they're presenting it. And it does not feel like a throwaway effort. Uh, I heard, um, the sporks are already gone. Is that yeah, correct? <laughs> so I look, they had the sporks out for us. I, I thought it was amazing that the theming was there. There are uh, there were issues from day one about them being stolen. Uh, I felt like they made a mistake by not selling them, rather than having them out for people. I felt Wait, like what are they? So they're it basically, just like little metal sporks. <laughs> well, but you, you say that, but it's they're hefty chunks of pressed aluminum with uh, an off-center spork. So your tines are not at the top; they're on the side, kind of like at a ten o'clock angle on the actual spork. And oh. th- there was no other flatware available. That was all you got. And it was great because it really made your dining experience feel authentic. But as always, this is the reason we can't have nice things, kids. People <laughs> were stealing them and putting them on eBay before the park opened, before the 31st. So, yeah, they've been pulled. I've been I, I've been told you can ask for them, but I, I don't know that they're going to come back. I hope that they sell them because I would have paid... $2.99 or $3.99 to have one that I could take home because I thought it was such a cool utensil. Man. But now, yeah. did, you have any, did you have any drinks while you were there? Yeah, so there's three non-alcoholic beverages that are served there. One of them is a pineapple kombucha that I'm told was good. I tend to shy away from kombucha as it doesn't hit my, my uh, drink style. The one that I had was called Moof Juice, which was a fruit punch with orange and chipotle pineapple. I don't know what about that name, and it is it is such a Star Wars nonsense word, but something about moof juice makes it sound so derogatory it, in it a just way makes, that... It just brings out the 12-year-old the, the that you are, Matt, is what you're saying. Yes. I don't... Yeah, I mean, it just sounds... It, it sounds like... Yeah. It sounds derogatory. It sounds sure. dirty. Like I said, it's, you know, uh, it's the teenage boy inside of you that's finding the dirty uh, dirty joke in it but yeah uh, but yeah no it was i love the chipotle and the smoky pineapple was not overwhelming at all um they you know they had your traditional assortment of terrestrial beverages as well uh i also like the fact that you cannot see into the kitchen from the ordering area uh it's or the ordering area is set up the same way as almost all of the the disney food services now where you uh, you place an order at a cashier go up to a window and get your food but you can't see into the kitchen and the conveyor belts and things and noises actually make it sound like your meal is being prepared by droids. That's incredible. Is there any mobile ordering yet in place? Uh, it is open now. Uh, the app yells at you really loudly and says, if you mobile order, you have to be in Star Wars and have the <laughs> ability. No, they had a lot of upset guests who saw the orders and were like, well, I'm going to mobile order and walk in and get my food. And they were very disappointed. Bummer. Uh, but once again, you know, intelligence checks abound in Disneyland. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so mobile ordering is up and running, and I know that that's, uh, they're still working out, you know, the, the process of that. Uh, but the lines didn't feel that long, even though we were hitting it right at lunch hour uh, for our trip. I think we were in from 10 to 2, and we, ha- we ate it, like, right at 12, and it didn't feel like it was a big issue at all. Uh, they have uh, a hummus dish. They have a, a meatless loaf. Uh, that I'm told was really good. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't hear any derogatory negative comments about the food at all at either of those locations. And obviously, no alcoholic beverages being 
um, sold during the previews for cast. Well, the, no, they were. Mm-hmm. Oh, they, they were. But, comma, there's only one place you can buy alcohol, and that's Oga's Cantina. The issue was uh, we went on the third day of the cast preview, and we were told, hey, go to the cantina first because uh, the line gets long. We got over there an hour into it, and the line was already 90 minutes. Oh, now, they have adjusted and adapted. Uh, if you go over there to put your uh, number in, they will actually uh, have a text message system that will buzz your phone when, you're, when you can go directly in. So, so kind of like the Cove Bar used to, or well, I guess uh, whatever, the Lamplight does lamp that now too. Yeah. Yeah. So they have eliminated the physical queue, which I'm very happy about because it was an eyesore. And they have gone to a virtual queuing system. Uh, because of that, it was the only area I did not get to go into. Um, n- not even as a walk around to, to walk through and see DJ Rex. Uh, the drinks are expensive. Uh, the time that we went, the souvenir mugs were not available. They waited until uh, that was full opening for the park. So it's an area that's a bit of a blind spot. But let's talk about blue and green milk, shall we? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. So uh, there is a separate stand that is kind of in the first order section that serves blue milk and green milk. They are frozen granita style uh, beverages that are uh, based with a rice and coconut milk base. So no, da- these are dairy free. One hundred percent dairy free. They are a vegan option. Uh, the blue milk is uh, dragon fruit and watermelon. The green milk is a tropical citrus with a very herbal bouquet. Of the two, I think the blue is a better drink, but other people have said the other way. I didn't care for it because of the mouthfeel. I felt like the flavor was good, but the rice and coconut milk texture for me was a little too slimy. Um, okay. Also at $5.99 for a 12-ounce cup, I felt like it was a little at the top of the line for a drink. I, I understand why it's in that price range, but... Um, uh, my wife had it. She loved it. It was a little uh, upscale for me for what it was. Okay. I, as a as a lactose intolerant boy. You uh, and I, we're in the same boat, man. Okay. So you, you also uh, don't uh, do dairy. I, I also take the enzyme pills and do dairy. Yeah, same. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I swear by lactate pills and uh, and ice cream because yep. I'm not giving that up. No. Although, although, you know, the lactate ice cream, not a bad, not a bad option, but. Yeah, if you have to, if yeah. you have to, but that is that is good to hear. It's weird to hear you say that it's like passion fruit, and I I don't know. I'm no no dragon I mean, dragon fruit, dragon fruit, and wa- and watermelon. Yeah, but still, uh, both both a, a sweet um, uh, a sweet drink that I I wasn't expecting. I mean, when I when I look at that scene, when I I see them, you know, drinking the blue milk with you know Aunt yeah. Baru or whatever, I just didn't picture. I pictured it to be more like milk i don't yeah. know i pictured it to just be yeah, like nothing mixes with hot southern california weather like chugging milk in a yeah. theme park no i understand i i totally understand it just it just didn't i when you said um dragon fruit i i was uh i i was a little uh well little confused and, and it's like a 7-eleven slurper you've got little chunks of ice suspending all the flavors so it is very granita-esque okay so. I'll definitely have to try one, no doubt. I heard the mix is good. If oh, you can mix, mix blue and green. Well, oh. I mean, like, you, you people have been getting them and then mixing them together manually. Well, and okay. look, if I think, you know, not that it's ever going to happen, but I think a little 151 in the blue milk would have been amazing. <laughs> yeah, that probably would be really good, actually. Yeah. We'll see. Maybe... Maybe, Maybe at the cantina. Maybe yeah. the cantina. Uh, but yeah, so the cantina drinks. I'm very curious about it. I actually may be heading back uh, before too long to have a cantina experience. Um, but that that's a little questioning about when that's going to happen. But yeah, no. The food wise, uh, I actually think that for in park dining, that with the exception of like Carthay Lounge and things like that. Uh, the the ribs made me happy that even though the big thunder ribs and the smoke jumpers ribs are gone, I felt like these were good enough substitution. I also liked very much that, that they didn't compromise and sacrifice and stick a burger or a pizza in there. Uh, they look if you're not an adventurous eater and you don't want to eat in there, then just go somewhere else in the park because the pedestrian American food at Disneyland is is forgettable. And if that's what you came for, go do it. Go to Hungry Bear. Yeah, 
I, I'm that that's a good move on their part. It's not like it's not like there aren't you know places to get a pizza or a burger that are within walking distance. So yeah. I, I think that was a good move. Now, have you noticed like as a Jungle Cruise skipper, have you noticed the rest of the park getting? more crowded like has have you noticed in the last month is it like insane in disneyland or so so what do you think june 2nd which was the first sunday that that was open was the slowest day i have seen in the park in 10 years and i have not seen a busy day since they opened on the 31st and that day was dead they were expecting thousands of people for their merchandise line i heard they had 300 wow uh so here's my theory Local passes are blocked out. Cast members are not allowed to sign themselves into the parks. Uh, and you had a large number of people who were scared off uh, about going. Uh, we have had significantly lower lines in the park since the 31st. I, I think that's going to happen up until the 24th when the reservations go away. If you had someone there who was like, I'm on the fence. Should I go to Disneyland the next two weeks? I would tell them to get their butts in there as soon as possible because, especially on weekdays, it is a ghost town at Disneyland right now. You want a 30-minute wait on Space Mountain, you want 20 at Indiana Jones, get in there as soon as you can. Perfect. Good to know. Now, we asked the rest of the team if they had any other questions for you, and Rob had a a question for you. Um, So he was wondering, do you think there's um, enough activity to do in... Uh, galaxy's edge that like if you're not into like building a droid or making a lightsaber that there's enough things to do for maybe like a more like adult uh an adult skewing demographic well and look i i went through and were i was in the areas for both of the builds i didn't do either of them because i i have things coming up that i need to be financially ready for and cameras are expensive and moving to Florida is even more expensive. Uh, so yeah, I, I chose not to do those things. The experience of doing it is excellent. Uh, and I think that, and we'll, we'll loop back in a second to the merch quality and the other stuff that they're selling there. Uh, so we'll get back to that. I feel like, yes, it is. And I feel like the experience of smugglers run, the experience of shopping, the experience of dining, the character interactions, the photo pass interactions, just going and seeing what's there is great for even non-Star Wars fans. I don't think you have to be a diehard Star Wars fan. Now, you're going to get, in the same way that going to Universal and walking through the Harry Potter stuff isn't necessary to be a Harry Potter fan. It's just a very enjoyable themed area. But it's the deeper Easter eggs and the deeper jokes that make it really interesting. Good. Okay. Well, that sounds... That's a positive, positive review. Um, now, do you want to talk about the merch? What were you yeah. going to say about that? So, a couple things I didn't expect. Uh, you know, the $25,000 fully functional R2-D2, that's movie prop quality, was not something I expected to see. For seven grand, you can get your own suit of Stormtrooper armor that's the, every bit as good as the 501st uh, quality. I, I mean, they, there's some high-end experiences there. I think that the, the lightsaber thing... You know, look, if I had a couple hundred dollars of disposable income and I was a little bit more of a Star Wars nerd, I would have done it just for the experience. It puts wand se- uh, selection ceremonies at Universal to shame. Um, and the actual process and the character and the story of doing that was really awesome. My favorite thing that I found there was they have a home goods section that has a lot of stuff for the house. They have an R2-D2 head salad bowl that looks like hmm. you lopped off R2's head and flipped it over. It's the most macabre Star Wars thing ever. <laughs> but it was a $74 salad bowl that felt as heavy as Captain America's shield. And it was really cool. And uh, it was almost going out with me on that day. Um, but yeah, no, no. I think that they have... They have created merchandise that is unexpected and in theme. One of my favorites was, you know, uh, they have an R2-D2 leg bottle opener for opening your beer bottles. And it just looks like you're grabbing a random droid part and just popping off the beer bottle top. Uh, They have uh, the restrictor nuts that they have on uh, the one they have on R2 when he gets out of the Jawa thing in the first movie. Yeah. You, You can get those as magnets to put on your refrigerator. 
Oh, that's cool. It's just man, I know what the rest of the WDW Happy Hour crew is getting for Christmas. Yeah, restraining bolts. Yes. Well, you, you can just restraining put, orders. Just restraining orders. Uh, but you know, look, the, they've done a great job with the merch. It's a lot of unexpected things. They have the the, the pet adoption where you can get uh, hand puppets. You can get the monkey lizards from uh, from Return of the Jedi. You can get the uh, porgs that are fully puppeted. Uh, there's just really great stuff. Uh, the toy store is great because all of the all the plush and uh, you know things plush Chewy plush Yoda, they all look hand stitched. Nothing looks like a commercially manufactured toy. So it feels like it's something that would make sense in that setting, uh, and that's the level of theming I thought was excellent. That's great. That's let's, I'm really looking forward to it. Let's talk about the bathrooms. Uh-oh. <laughs> that's that's a phrase I've always wanted to say on someone else's podcast, right? Uh, absolutely, they are works of art. They are some of the best theming and choices from design standpoints that I've ever seen at Disney Park. Go into the bathrooms when you're there. Don't miss out on it. Oh, I will. I have a very, I have a, a, wild I have a very small bladder. <laughs> and is. now all of our listeners know. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is an exceptionally well-themed, well-thought-out uh, addition to the area. I, I wouldn't expect anything less. Yeah, it, 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 well, it even surprised me. I mean, I even with knowing what they were doing, it was still a, a giant cut above what I was expecting. We, uh, we had a big uh, uh, talking point about bathrooms on our last uh, podcast because one of, the new, uh, one of the new restaurants in Disney Springs has incredible bathrooms. Like, just, like, really good theming. And you know what? I know it sounds stupid. It's, like, a throwaway thing, but it really does. It's that, like, added touch. So you're, like, listen, they could have made a homogenized bathroom. It's just a bathroom. Yep. But, like, it, it's one of those things. It's that extra It's that extra magic. Well, and it's, you know, I'm a big fan of theming. And uh, at some point uh, down the road, we'll talk. The next time you guys are out, I'm going to take you to the Cauldron, which is a new bar that is right across the street from Knott's Berry Farm. And uh, it is a magical-themed restaurant. They also have bathrooms that are straight out of the Ministry of Magic from Harry Potter that are just gorgeous. So, Awesome. I'm a big fan of a good restroom. (laughs) Put that that on your tombstone. That's right there. That's that's right on there. So I I think it's going to be Skipper Kyle. He was okay. Eh. That's 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 my epitaph right there. I like is the eh in there too? Yes, yeah, the eh is on is written out. He was okay. Dot dot dot. Eh. eh. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, that that suits you. So anyway, guys, uh, we're getting toward the one hour point. I know you want to keep it in a, a kind of a more condensed version about this. So what else do you want to know before we get out of here? Catherine, anything else? I think he hit all of the bullet points that I was looking. Well, I'm a I'm a. Disneyland Resort junkie Skipper Kyle. So my question is, have you soared over California yet? Oh, three times on the first. Oh, saying so, I'm so jealous. I won't get out there to do that. The 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 scents, the the uh, original smells that they have have been enhanced. So the oranges are orangier. The pine is pineier. Uh, the salt is saltier. It is. Uh, gorgeous and it feels remastered and you can take that CGI'd soaring over the world BS and make it go away as far as I'm concerned. <sighs> Strong feelings on that one, man. I Yeah, me, me too. I, I hate the redo on that and I think that the old one is uh, a million times better. Catherine has the best quote on that where she said, we, we wrote it the first time and she was like, the Taj Mahal looked like a Puzz 3D. Yeah, no, it was it was bad. So uh, when my wife and I got married, our uh, extunt, our walking back, you know, as a married couple, music was the soaring theme. Nice. Mm. We walked the original. Down. Yep. That's so great. Yep. Any other questions, Matt? I have nothing. It was just nice to chat with you. I haven't. I feel like um, I haven't talked to you in a in a hot minute. So it was good to yeah. catch up. Although the funny part, well, since you guys were out on my boat when you came out last year, uh, but it's funny because we hear each other's voices every once in a while when we listen to the show, so it doesn't feel too alien or unfamiliar because we, uh, we're always there in each other's ears. Yes, which as creepy as that sounds, but, but also comforting and nice. Yeah, it's, it's like having friends you don't have to talk to. 
It's been, and that's, that's the perf- my favorite friend. The perfect yeah. arrangement. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, lots of other interesting stuff. Uh, you know, the the new buzz around uh, the park is that they're going to get rid of the Interventions building. They're going to close Nemo and change the layout for Autopia and put in the Tron light cycle sometime in 2022. I awesome. feel like Nemo did not age well in Disneyland. Look, it, it didn't even really need to be there anyway, but there's there's a long history of why that happened and why they didn't scrap it, and I can't get into it in detail, but... Yeah, it, it should have it should never have come back, but they had to do something with that area while they were doing construction on other things in the area. So yeah, that one is just uh, was a choice that didn't do well. Look, Buzz here is not aged well either. Man, they need to redo that ride. Those yeah. there's stickers peeling off every single car. Not it's worse. Sick. It's worse on the East Coast. Yeah, that that ride needs to be redone for Toy Story Four. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So, Kyle, before we let you go, is there anything that you want to plug while we have you? Yeah, give us well, your plugs, man. I'm going to do, do one more thing before that, which is uh, Jolly Holiday Bakery has replaced the iconic Disneyland cinnamon rolls. So, okay, I never even had the the original iconic cinnamon rolls. So they were like the they were the one that was at the Carnation uh, Bakery for a long time. They've been replaced with a croissant dough cinnamon roll. And if you get out, try them. They're one of the best things that we've had here. Uh, and then I know you guys, have you been out since we had Tropical Hideaway open? No, we haven't. Robin Holly did. So they, yep. they did a little mini review on our podcast, but I'm very excited. We'll yep. be there in, in a month. We'll yeah, be in Disneyland. The, so. Some of us will. Yeah, the loaded Dole Whip Sunday is fantastic. And um, uh, I'll be there for a little bit longer. So I'm sure I'll be out here when you guys are, are still around. So Oh, yeah, that makes me happy. So we'll get you on the boat one more time. So, uh, well, so I, I will take your offer on the plugging uh, quickly. So, yeah, the Tales from the Jungle Cruise podcast has returned. If you are on Stitcher, Google Play, or uh, iTunes podcast, uh, wherever you listen to this fine podcast, uh, just search Jungle Cruise, C-R-E-W-S, and you'll be able to find it. We have 150 episodes where we discuss the Jungle Cruise and other Disney things with former skippers all the way back to 1955. And then our big thing is the Skipper Store, which is our merchandise store on Tee Public, uh, where as of today we have put up a T-shirt advertising Dill Whip. You know, it's a <laughs> it's a pickle flavored soft serve beverage that Dole would never actually produce. Uh, but we have uh, over a hundred different T-shirts and other items from our Skipper designers, uh, and that's up at tpublic.com. Once again, just uh, search Jungle Cruise, C-R-E-W-S, and all those designs are up there. There's some really fun stuff. Yeah, uh, definitely check out the store because they have some really um, hilarious and great art on your uh, on the T-shirts. I, oh. um, in fact, on the way to our house is the I'm like the Haunted Mansion, gorgeous on the outside, dead on the inside. I got that tank top just last week. You know, yep. and I, I don't know that I could have written a better uh, better descriptor. Um, Thank you. No, I was right there <laughs> with you on it. Uh, we also found out we're going to actually be doing uh, one of our print-on-demand guys uh, are coming out with shower curtains. So we are going to make a backside of water shower curtain uh, as well as a birth of the uh, elephant uh, shower curtain. Um, you know, but bef- I, I guess, other, do you guys have any questions about the Jungle Cruise movie or do we want to do that in a separate episode? Oh, can you give us any dirt? I, have, what can, I yeah. have so much to ask about this that I might, that, that well, might be another one, but can we just condense it to like yeah, one give, give us really like a good little nugget? So it was moved from October 2019 to summer 2020. They did not do that if they did not have faith in the movie. It is the first movie of a planned trilogy, from what I'm understanding. Uh, The first one's going to take place in South America. Uh, The Pirates of the Caribbean franchise was a big action summer tentpole movie with a little bit of humor. Uh, And this is going to be a big summer tentpole action movie with a lot of humor and great uh, characters. Jack Whitehall, um, uh, Emily Blunt, and, and Dwayne Johnson. Uh, I've been lucky enough that I've had a little interaction on the the, the uh, consulting side of it, uh, just a little. But I've I've been really happy to uh, have you know the guys who are doing the movie have listened to the podcast and have been in touch with me a few times. See, that's really I think that's the coolest thing that yeah. you have. I mean, that's that's such a you were you're going to be 
You're a consultant, so you're, do you think your name is going to be in the credits of this film? Uh, I'm sure it will be in the, the very end where we would like to thank the skippers of the Jungle Cruise. That's pretty much, I know that I'm in that group. Uh, I'm not getting a credit for it. No, I haven't done that much. But I will say, um, everything I know about this movie, it is a love letter to the skippers. And that's right there, as long as it's that, that's all that matters to me. So this will not be a uh, this will not be a Tower of Terror or whoa whoa a, whoa! Uh, Watch your tongue. Let's Kath- call it the Haunted Mansion. The Catherine Tower of Terror a, is a cinematic masterpiece. Catherine is a huge Tower of Terror Look, starring Steve Gutenberg. Uh, Steve the Goot Gutenberg. She's an apologist. She Look, loves it. It's it's not even going to be in the same category as like a Country Bears movie. Uh, I know that's going to be hard for some people to manage. Uh, but, you know, I look, I'm not a huge Pirates fan. The first one was, but the longer it went, the less I liked it. Um, I'm the same way. But I, I really feel like, uh, look, I'll, I'll spoil a very, very small piece of information for you guys. The, the thing that this reminds me of more than anything else is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh. That's high praise. I mean, that's, that's, that's a big comparison. I mean, look, it's uh, better than The Mummy, and I think it's going to be uh, an action movie on par with something like Raiders. Wow. wow. I'm looking forward to it. So, Hey, and I've talked about it uh, almost zero on my podcast, but there, there will yeah, be things. Yeah, you heard it here first. Yeah, there will be more stuff coming over on my show as well. So, Cool. Yeah, definitely, if you haven't already, um, like and subscribe to Tales from the Jungle Cruise because it is awesome. Yeah, we just hit our three and a half millionth download. So we are continuing to chug along even with the two years absence. And uh, I'm thrilled that the the fans have stuck around long enough that we're able to come back and do something good. That's awesome. Wonderful. All right. Well, anything else, you guys? Uh, I'll keep on throwing you the little uh, bits of information as I go and, uh, you know, continue to be a little secret correspondent for you. All right. Well, that leaves us with one thing, everyone, and that is cheers. 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 Bye, Skipper Kyle. Thank you for listening to WDW Happy Hour. Please like us on Facebook and feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. If you enjoy the podcast, we encourage you to share by telling your friends and also writing a nice review on iTunes. Cheers. Cheers.